Gustav. Great. Well, Alan, will you come up? Alan's preaching this morning. We're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. So, Father, I just pray for Alan right now. Lord, I thank you for his heart. I thank you for his desire just to, to know you and draw close to you. Uh, and, uh, Lord, I know that he will have spent time pondering and studying and thinking through the verses of Scripture that he will bring this morning in order to present your heart and your way. So, Lord, I pray that in all of that you'd pour into him as he pours out this morning. Will you pour your blessing into him? And, Lord, I pray for each one of us that, Lord, we'd hear the whisper of your spirit and that our hearts would be postured to lean into you, to be changed and transformed by you. For the sake of the kingdom, we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. Everyone doing okay? Now the sun's out. Woohoo. So we, as John said, if I can get this started, we are continuing in our Beatitudes. Uh, And today, we're looking at what Jesus is going to be saying in the Beatitudes about nice, easy uh, topic following on from John's, uh, truth and integrity. So none of us have a problem with truth or integrity, so it's going to be really easy. Uh, Might be a little bit uncomfortable in parts this morning. It was uncomfortable for me thinking about it, let alone anything else. But can I just say now, it ends with Jesus. So it does end on really, really good news. So don't get too upset or disheartened. Or And the title I've put for the talk this morning is Being Radically Truthful. And I think the question and the challenge that Jesus brings at this point in the Beatitudes is, how can we as disciples of Jesus be radically truthful in a world which is full of lies and deception? So let's start by reading the passage. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oath you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Right. So let's get all the confessions out of the way right at the beginning of the sermon. Hands up if you've ever told a lie. Uh, That's good, because if you didn't put your hand up, I believe that's a lie. (laughs) So that's really good, isn't it? Not that we've all told lies, by the way, but it's really good. We're all in the same boat. We all start off from the same point. So what Jesus is saying is going to apply to all of us. One of the very first sins that happened right back at the start of Genesis was based on a lie. Satan deceived Adam and Eve, which led to the fall and brought sin and destruction into the whole world. All creation was affected by a lie. And from that point on, lying and deception just became common. In his letter to the Romans, Paul describes the effects of sin. In Romans 3, verse 10, Paul says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. That's a nice, encouraging scripture to start off with. We all struggle with lying, don't we? Children struggle with lying. Adults struggle with lying. Dishonesty is everywhere in the world. In every community, every culture, every country, it's nowhere that dishonesty, deceit, and lying don't touch. So, what Paul is saying there, that is lies because of our sinful nature, i.e., we can't help it. We're born like it. But I think we often probably also lie in other situations as well, don't we? I don't know if any of these will seem familiar to you, or it might just be me. Number one, we tell a lie to make ourselves look better. No, just me? We all, do we all like exaggerating a story a little bit, or just me? Yeah. We tell a lie. Number two, we tell a lie to get something we want. Just, just me again. Okay. Maybe we embellish our CV. Never done that. Try to get an a promotion. This is probably the most common one. Number three, we tell a lie to protect ourselves from consequences, to try and cover up something we've done wrong. No, never ever done that one. God, I'm going to need help by the end of this sermon. It's full of, full of lying anyway. And number four, we tell a lie to protect someone else from being hurt. And we even call some kinds of lying a white lie. Almost like somehow it's okay to be dishonest for a good cause. In this passage from Matthew, Jesus addresses the abuse of oaths and the abundant dishonesty in the world. And throughout the Beatitudes, we've seen that Jesus has been correcting common misinterpretations of Old Testament law. And here he corrects another. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying that as his disciples, as us, us as Christians, we will be known for being radically truthful. Okay, so I think we've got what lying is sorted out, so we all feel nice and convicted, not condemned, convicted. So how can we be radically truthful how Jesus commands us to be? And in good old sermon fashion, I've broken it down into three neat headings that don't all start with the same. Oh, they will start with the same letter, T, which is an insignificant word, which is two. So number one, to be radically truthful, we must reject deception and dishonesty. So at the start of the passage, Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Now, taking oaths wasn't actually forbidden in the Old Testament. Actually, they were encouraged. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, it says, Fear the Lord your God and serve him, hold fast to him, and take your oaths in his name. And in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 16, we can read, And if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying, As surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be established among my people. And even God makes oaths. 
In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So it seems like God allows oaths to restrain the human tendency to lie and be dishonest. And by swearing on God's name, it meant a greater accountability between people. Basically, by swearing on God's name, you were asking God to judge you if you were lying or didn't hold the oath. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21, we read, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So as we've just seen, making oaths in the Old Testament wasn't forbidden. But what was forbidden was the breaking of oaths and making flippant oaths. Oaths were only supposed to be reserved for the most serious of occasions and must be kept. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. And later in verses 4 to 6, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to, to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not to fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the, destroy the work of your hands? But this is exactly what the Jews were doing who Jesus was talking to. They were flippantly making oaths, breaking them and deceiving people. And they were doing this swearing on the name of the Lord. And some rabbis were even teaching that as long as you didn't swear on the name of the Lord, it was okay to break your oath. So the people were swearing on other things. I don't know if any of these sound familiar. Their mother, their father, Jerusalem, their lives. We've never sworn on our mum or granny's life, have we? Or our own life, of course. Our dog. It's like when we used to make statements as kids, do you remember, with our fingers crossed behind our backs and said, oh, what I said doesn't count because I've my fingers crossed behind my back. And that's what the rabbis were teaching at the time when Jesus was, t uh, when Jesus was uh, t teaching this message. As long as you don't swear on God's name, it's okay to be dishonest. And that is actually a bit too close home for us, isn't it? In fact, are we any better than the people that Jesus was talking to back then now? In some circumstances today, it is now perfectly acceptable to lie, cheat, offer, accept bribes. Actually, you're thought pretty odd if you don't, don't do that sort of behavior. And it happens everywhere. In schools, workplaces, homes, families, marriages, friends, Church, yes, I said it, church. <laughs> now, I was going to give some personal examples here, but... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not just on my own. I thought we could go around the room in a clockwise... And we could all... Anti-clockwise, clockwise. No. This is exactly the dishonesty that Jesus was talking into back then and still talks into today. And the only way as the disciples of Jesus 
that we can be radically truthful is to reject all forms of dishonesty and deception everywhere in our schools workplaces communities homes marriages families friends and we know deep down don't we although we kid ourselves it's not quite like this if we go down that path of tolerating a little white lie or a little bit of dishonesty our integrity begins to erode and before long what we used to think was sinful subtly now seems okay and sometimes we even praise it Jesus carries on again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago do not break your oath but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made but I tell you do not swear an oath at all it does seem a little bit like Jesus is completely forbidding the making of oaths here uh, George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, famously actually went to prison for refusing to swear on the Bible in a court of law because of this very passage. Because of the stand he made, you don't actually have to swear on the Bible anymore in a court of law. You can just simply affirm to tell the truth. But Jesus wasn't forbidding all oath-taking. And we've already seen how oath-taking was actually encouraged in the Old Testament. And even God made oaths. And Jesus himself, when he was put on trial, was put under oath by the high priest. And Jesus affirms in Matthew 26, verse 63. But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath of the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replies. And Paul makes several oaths in his letters, swearing on God. In 2 Corinthians verse 123, he says, I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it that in order to spare you, I did not return to Corinth. He's swearing on God and his own life in one sentence. And in Galatians 120, I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. It doesn't seem like Jesus is prohibiting all oaths, but just the frivolous ones, the ones that were not kept the ones that actually increase dishonesty rather than reducing it. There's a writer called Kent Hughes who summarizes it in this way. Oath-taking is permitted, but it's not encouraged. In civil life, oath-taking, as in a courtroom, is permitted, and when one does so, he does not sin against Christ's teaching. Also, on rare occasions, it might be necessary, as it was for Paul. However, oaths are not to be the normal part of our everyday conversation. In normal relations, oaths should never fall from our lips. Kingdom men and kingdom women do not need such devices. Their commitment to truthfulness should be evident to all. So once again, if we're going to be radically truthful as citizens of God's kingdom and the disciples of Jesus, we must reject all dishonesty. Even the little porky pies, the white lies. All lying, stealing, cheating, and the abuse of oaths. So number two, how else can we be radically truthful? You'll be happy to know that was the longest point. If you're all thinking, my, my word, that one took 15 minutes. So number two, how can we be radically truthful? To be radically truthful... Sorry, Siri's just giving me a helping hand. To be radically... <laughs> To be, to be radically truthful, we must recognize God 
as sovereign. So Jesus carries our Matthew 5, verse 34. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. And as we've already just seen, the Jews were trying to avoid God's judgment and deceive people by not swearing on his name. So they substituted God's name with heaven, the earth, mother, father, their head, Jerusalem. They thought that if they didn't swear on God's name, they would be free from God's judgment. However, Jesus is reminding the Jews then and us now today that even if they didn't mention God's name, they would still be held accountable because God is the sovereign judge over all. If they swore by their mother or father, for example, God created their mother or father. If they swore by their own head, their life, well, God was over that as well. And that's a really important reminder for us today as well. Now, this isn't going to seem familiar to you, I hope. Well, it probably will do, but anyway. So, corporately as the church, so not just us, not just Elim, but the whole church. I don't know, but it almost seems like we've made church or the Christian activities that we do holy places where we must be on our best behavior. That doesn't sound familiar to anyone here at all, does it? We mustn't lie in church. We mustn't lie when we're meeting with our other Christian friends, when we're at a Christian event. That changes quite quickly when we get home, though, doesn't it? Or in the workplace, or with friends who don't go to church. Suddenly, the things that we would never dream of doing in the holy place seem to be okay. And that's a little bit hypocritic, isn't it, really? Now, it must just be me who suffers with that, because you're all looking quite shocked at me, but don't worry. And this is what the rabbis were doing when Jesus speaks into it in this passage. Certain places, certain things were holy and under the judgment of God. And other places, they said, weren't. But we know, don't we, in Matthew uh, chapter 23, verse 16, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath, you blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by the oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it, and anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. If we're going to be radically truthful in a world full of dishonesty and deception, we must recognize that God is sovereign over all. God is everywhere, sees everything, hears everything, and more um, somberly is the right word, most sobering, knows our innermost every single thought. Not only will we be all judged on whether we broke oaths, but also for every single word that we have spoken. 
Because in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on that day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, it says, Outside of the dogs... Those who practice magic arts, arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, dishonesty. Like I said, that, that's a little bit serious and so <laughs> sobering, isn't it? Everyone who practices falsehood will be shut out of heaven and all of our words will be judged. If we're going to be radically truthful, we have to recognize that God is sovereign. He is everywhere and will judge everyone. That means being truthful is required in every single situation. Not just some. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. We cannot hide from God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 to 13 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And the last point you'll be pleased, so we're coming into land. To be radically truthful, we must always speak the truth to guard ourselves from the evil one. So Jesus finishes this passage by saying, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves, we normally swear by stuff, don't we? To try and make people believe what we're saying. And how many of those times is what we're saying not actually the real truth, but by swearing on it, we think, oh, we can make people believe it. Jesus says that as his disciples, we do not need to use oaths or swear by anything. We should just simply say yes or no. And there's also a warning from Jesus here. In John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, You belong to the Father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie and are dishonest, not only do we do what the devil does, but we open the door for him to use and speak through us. And we see this with Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, don't we? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Are we any better than Peter? I don't think so. We're exactly the same as Peter. We're just as vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. And when we accept lies, when we speak lies, when we're dishonest, we allow Satan to use us to deceive, discourage, corrupt, and destroy. How on earth are we supposed to protect ourselves from this when even Peter couldn't? Paul tells us, doesn't he, in Ephesians 6, to put on the whole armor of God, to stand against the devil's schemes. And in verse 14, he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around our waist.'" 
So to protect ourselves from the attacks from the devil, we must know God's word, the Bible, and we must also constantly speak it. And I think really we can only do that by reading the Bible every single day and constantly speaking the truths from the Bible against the lies of the world and the devil. If we do this, the really exciting good news is there is no room for the devil in our lives. He will flee. There is no room for lies, deception, dishonesty, only the truth and the whole truth all of the time, in public and when we are on our own, in the holy places and in the ordinary places of everyday life. So the question right at the beginning, which I think Jesus is sort of posing to us now, and what he commands us to be is, how can we as disciples of Jesus be radically truthful in a world which is full and saturated with lies and deception? So number one, we must reject all deception and dishonesty. It's never okay to lie, including those little white lies that we sometimes think are doing for the right reason. Number two, we must recognize God as sovereign. He's everywhere, he's, and see, he's everywhere, hears and sees everything, knows our inmost thoughts, and will judge all of us. Scary. Number three, <laughs> we must speak the truth to guard ourselves from the evil one, reading and speaking God's word, the Bible, constantly, every day. So, Let's just finish with that passage from Hebrews. Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrews, Hebrews. <laughs> but, this but this time, let's add the ending of that passage. So in Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That would be pretty depressing if that was where that passage ended, but fortunately it doesn't. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, just as we just read in that last line, let's approach the throne of God with confidence and receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. <laughs>